Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her pub a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who, who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, Where is the Christ? where the Christ was to be born, excuse me. So then they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them that what time the star appeared, and he, had sent, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into his house, they saw the young child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. As a reading from Matthew chapter 18, or chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Mass, uh, Matthew's main point in writing his gospel was to show the Jewish people that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, but even more so that he was their king, that he was the king of the Jews. In this section of scripture, we see it confirmed by the wise men. We see it opposed by Herod, and we see Old Testament prophecies of this coming king. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 told us that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, 
wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, Bethlehem was the prophesied town. It was five miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, we see that in verse 6, that it was the prophesied place, as it was the birthplace, uh, the home, rather, of King David. The house of bread is what Bethlehem means. Now, what's amazing about Jesus being born in Bethlehem is that's not where Joseph and Mary had been living at the time of Jesus' birth. Jesus was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem, and yet his family, his parents, lived in Nazareth. And so we have God and his sovereignty orchestrating world events to usher in the king of the Jews. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we read of a specific decree that Caesar Augustus said that the whole world should be registered. And so Joseph took his pregnant wife and went to his hometown, to Bethlehem, to register his family. This brought their family into the place, this exact location that was prophesied for Jesus. Just as Galatians chapter 4 said, in the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son to be born. It was just the right time as this family trip took them to the house of bread, Bethlehem, for the birth of Jesus. Now, some of the characters that we have in this story give us some great responses to the announcement of the Christ being born. Uh, we're going to look at four different uh, attitudes and responses uh, when one hears about Jesus coming in the flesh. The first uh, is by Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a wicked man, though this didn't always seem to be the case. Early in his reign, he seemed to display some qualities of decency, but uh, as time went on, his character worsened. Uh, the International uh, Standard Bible Encyclopedia says that during the first part of his reign, there was evidence of a large heart in Herod, of great possibilities in the man. But the bitter experiences of his life, the endless whisperings and warnings of his court, the irreconcilable spirit of the Jews, as well as the consciousness of his own wrongdoing, changed him into a man like Nero, a tyrant who bathed his own house and his own people in blood. So sad to see him as a large-hearted man turn into a tyrant on the same level as Caesar Nero. He was a paranoid man. This Herod the Great would have his own sons, wives, and anyone else who threatened his throne killed. Now he knew the scriptures of the prophesied Messiah King, and he was worried that the king of the Jews was going to kick him off of his throne. Herod and his family were placed into power by Julius Caesar, and he was not of Jewish descent, so he knew that the Jewish king that was prophesied would not be him. He was always afraid of another king coming on the scene to overthrow his throne, especially that king of the Jews. And so Herod would build or rebuild 11 different fortresses in his time, one of which is called the Herodium. Now this is a picture that I took in Bethlehem in 2012. These are the shepherd fields of Bethlehem, and there's all of these little caves all around, and any one of them could have been the birthplace of Jesus. But off in the distance, you'll see a, a mountain on the, in the middle right, and it has a flat top on the top. Uh, that is the Herodium. The Herodium is three miles southeast of Bethlehem and eight miles south of Jerusalem. It's a man-made mountain. 
by Herod the Great. That summit is 2,460 feet above sea level. It was constructed over a tiny pre-existing hill, but then became a fortress for Herod so that he could quickly flee from Jerusalem to this luxurious seven-story palace for his enjoyment. Surely, from the Herodium, he could defend attack against this new king's army. Little did he know, in a little cave stable within the view of his mountain fortress, the king of the Jews would be born resting in a humble manger. Chapter 2, verses 1 one through 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. These wise men from the east are our second characters in our story. Now, nowhere does it say that there were actually three, but we probably think this because of the three gifts that were given to Jesus. These men were incredibly educated astrologers from around Babylon. They had a reputation of being wealthy, prominent men, probably not riding on camels, but white Persian horses, as was the custom uh, for men like them of their day. They were magi that belonged to a group called, forgive my mispronouncing, I know I am, Megastains. Okay, I don't know why, but that's how I'm pronouncing it. Megastains in ancient history were a group of Medo-Persian men responsible for the replacement of kings. So how interesting that we have a group of magi from the Megastains coming from Persia to replace a king. Now, Herod's tenure was always shaky, even though it had been for 35 years. There was always a political struggle. It really was a tinderbox waiting to light on fire. And men of their prominence couldn't be, really, uh, be arriving on camels uh, just by themselves, but rather with a, an entire troop of Persian cavalry accompanying them as they would make this entrance into Jerusalem. It says in Numbers 24, 17 that they saw, it was a prophecy, that they would see an incredible star and they would know where to follow it. Well, Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says that when Herod the king heard of these men coming into Jerusalem, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod hears these wise men talk about the king of the Jews coming and he is upset People were already coming to worship him, and he didn't even know who this new king was. All Jerusalem was troubled. The whole city was in an uproar at such an invasion of wise men. He was disturbed. Literally, the language means he was all shook up, shaking from the knees. His knees had become jelly, and it was impossible to hold them together. The entire city was shook up, too. In some 33 years, it would be shook up again on Palm Sunday when everybody would come with palms and sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But here we are 33 years earlier. The whole city was upset. These wise men who were truly wise men were prepared to ask a simple question. A simple question. Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Matthew chapter 2 verse 4 says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and all of the scribes of the people together, he asked them, Where was this Christ supposed to be born? 
These priests were no longer good guys, but they were corrupt, as were the scribes. And this is our third character set in our teaching tonight. 2 Chronicles 36, 14 gives us some insight into thousands of years ago what had happened to these priests and their hearts inside. All of the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed and sinned more and more according to the abominations of all the nations. And they defiled the house of the Lord, which he'd consecrated in Jerusalem. These were the priests that Herod had asked, where is the Christ to be born? In verses 5 and 6, they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, they knew the prophecy from Malachi. It's in Bethlehem. It's three miles south. That's what was written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler, a ruler who will shepherd, shepherd my people Israel. That's from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. The third reaction that we have to this new king We see it from the priests. The first was from Herod, who when he heard the word, despised it and hated it. The scribes, or excuse me, the wise men, the magi, heard about the Christ child to be born, and they acted on it. And the scribes and the priests hear the word, and they simply ignore it, as if it was some common everyday event that the Christ was being born three miles south. You think everyone would pile on a camel and head down there as fast as they could to meet this coming king. Now, these chief priests and the teachers of the law were able to give precise answers to Herod's questions. And it would appear that they were totally apathetic to the whole issue. The religious ones of their day failed to show any care or grasp the wonder of it all when realizing that the Christ could have been born just over the hill. The sad thing is, is that the third group of people here, people of indifference and ignoring the Christ, will become just like the first group of people, those that despise. Because indifference to the word of Jesus Christ will always lead to hating Jesus Christ. The wise men heard the word and acted on it, and they worshiped Jesus. We see this in Matthew 2, 7. Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them, Uh, what time the star had appeared. That would tell him roughly what age this Christ child would be born. The wise men weren't there with Jesus the night he was born, like we often see in our nativity scenes, but had come from the east a long ways off. By the time they finally saw Jesus, he could have been two to three years old. Herod was wondering how old of a king he should be competing against right now. And in Matthew chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, you wise men, and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring him back to me, that I could worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And so Herod brings them back in and sends out the priests and said, why don't you guys go figure out who this Christ child is, then bring him to me and I'll totally worship him with you. Right. That was totally the character of Herod the Great. 
It's an amazing thing to think that this star had been waiting in Jerusalem for the wise men. And when they departed from Herod's castle, uh, they then followed it another three miles where it stood directly over this stable where Jesus was born. I love the response of the wise men. Not only were they excited to see the Christ child, they were really excited to see the star again for the final three miles of the journey. They're like, we really need our GPS. Where is it? Oh, good. There it is. And they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. And then these final verses that uh, Jason read tonight. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they'd opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they could not or should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. No longer was Jesus in a manger, but he was in a house. And we have this third response of the wise men it says they saw and they fell down and they worshiped they didn't pop in drop the gifts off and head home they came and they saw this child they saw no doubt standing for a few moments in silent wonder they bowed down before this young baby this maybe young child bowing down to worship in humility And my friends, you know, when you see Jesus, when you really see Jesus, you will bow down. And the Bible says in the book of Philippians that one day every knee will bow down and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I have a dear friend right now. He's he's a relative of mine and he's going through some really tough life situations right now. And I He's one of my best friends in my entire life. We grew up on a ranch together. We used to wear the same clothes to school as kids. He's one month older than me and about eight inches taller. One of my best friends, and I've been witnessing to him for probably 15 years of the love of Jesus. And have met just, you know, a hard heart, a hard heart, a hard heart. But he's going through some of the hardest trials a man could ever go through. uh, He's had two wives leave him, not at the same time. He has chronic lupus, which constantly leads to infections all over his body and pneumonia, extreme pain. Two weeks ago, uh, his sister walked in on his mom as she had just shot herself and killed herself. And I spent a week with him and his sister and their dad, and I just, with face-to-face, about this close many times, praying and weeping and reading the scriptures of hope to them, and you know, they're, they're on that brink of, of bowing their knees and their hearts to Jesus. It's a very exciting thing. But I keep hearing him say something that I'm praying for. As he keeps saying, you know what, Rory, I'm in the process of getting right with God, but I'm doing it my own way. Now, that could mean one thing. Like, you know, I'm not really big into like, you know, those big evangelical crusades or those TV shows where people got to come forward and be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. okay, yeah, you don't have to do that. It's not in the Bible that you have to like come up or raise your hand or anything like that. But I'll tell you what the Bible does say you need to do. You do need to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. You do need to come before the Lord Jesus Christ as if you were coming before a child as a child with humility of heart. You need to realize that you have nothing to bring to the table and Jesus has everything to bring to the table as both Lord and Christ. You see, when you truly see Jesus, you will bow. Now, that might not mean right now that your knees hit the ground. 
but your heart will hit the ground. And Jesus says, it is better to fall on me, the rock, and be broken rather than to have the rock fall on you and grind you to powder. When you see the Christ, you will bow and all who come to Christ will hit their knees. The wise men made a presentation. They opened up treasures and they presented gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. Gold is a gift fit for a king. Frankincense is an aroma spice used in temple sacrifices, and it would point to the priestly aspect of Jesus. Myrrh was a medicinal spice used to help with pain. It was mixed with wine and given to Jesus on the cross. Later, it was used in his life as a burial spice. Myrrh would look towards Jesus' death. A dear friend of mine wrote a song about 12 years ago, and it goes, Born to die that I might live. How interesting that at his birth, they gave him a burial spice as he was born to die. The final thing that I want to see is there's actually another response to Jesus' birth, but it's in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. There were some in that country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is called the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the Christ. And all those who heard it marveled and those things, uh, at those things which had to- been told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. We'll have the band come back up. But I want you to remember this. I hope the Lord sears this into your heart today. That we have four different responses in this account from the people who would hear about the birth of the Christ child. We have Herod who despised it. Now I'm guessing that here in this room, there's probably not many people who would come out on a Christmas Eve and they hear about the Christ child and they despise it. Ah! Some, maybe, maybe in here, but not many. Perhaps there's more in our culture and in this room that are like the high priests and the scribes who have a major appearance of religion about them. They know a lot of Bible verses. They know exactly where Jesus is to be born. They got the religious garb on. They fast twice a week. They give. And yet, 
when they heard about the Messiah and his appearing, they ignored it. They were apathetic to it. And how interesting in Jesus's ministry, when he would go around people that were familiar with him, he would often be rejected by them. You guys remember in Matthew chapter 13, when he ministered in his hometown of Nazareth, he spoke many powerful words, and yet all of his neighbors and classmates and relatives said, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Isn't he Mary and Joseph's son? You know, aren't his brothers Joseph and James, and, and those are his sisters, and didn't we go to prep school with him, you know? Didn't we memorize the Shema with this guy? Who does he think he is telling us all this stuff about repent of our sins for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? And it says because of, his unbel- because of their unbelief, he was not able to do many mighty deeds. And what a good word for us today. We, leave, we live in one of the most churched countries in America We have access to scriptures and knowledge about the Bible and Christianity. Right now, on your phones, you can ask any question about the Bible and the answers will come up. That's where we live. But perhaps for you, your heart is far from Jesus. You're apathetic towards Jesus. You would maybe flip past the stories of Jesus' birth this Christmas and read about him calling people to follow him. And what did it say those people would do? Immediately they would drop what they're doing and they would follow Jesus. He would say, if anybody wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves. And they must take up their cross and follow me. And I would ask you today, It's by God's mercy and God's grace that he's drawn you here this Christmas Eve. Do you hear Jesus speaking beyond the manger, speaking beyond Galilee, speaking from his word in Luke chapter 14? Follow me. Follow me. I pray that you would have a response like the wise men who would hear him and act on it and say there is no cost too great to come and know this Savior King. We will hop on our mules, we will hop on our horses, we will hop on our camels, and we will ride. And we will find this guy. And we're going to find a little baby eating curds and honey, spitting up, wearing some kind of an ancient diaper, And we're going to hit the deck and we are going to worship this guy. Because he's not a baby. He's God becoming flesh. And over the next 32, 33 years, he would dwell among these people. He would know them intimately. He would be betrayed by them. And he would offer up his life as a ransom for your sins and my sins. That if anyone would believe upon him, they would have everlasting life. And then there's a response that goes beyond that. There's the shepherd's response where they didn't just hear it. Woohoo! They went and they saw this little dude. I got to go see this guy. And they worship. But then what did they do? 
they went out and they told everybody about it. You guys, that is what Jesus has called us to do. We have a mission to go, to go to Prineville, across the street, across our office spaces, across our warehouses, across our ranches, and tell people about this Christ child. We have a duty, a commission by this child to go into all the nations and to preach this gospel and to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. I would ask you, what camp are you in tonight? And the beautiful thing is his mercies are new right in this place. That wherever you at, you're at, you can bow your knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can, like a little child, receive him. And as many of you as would receive him tonight by faith, trusting in him, believing in him, as many as would receive him, he would give you the right tonight to become children of God. Won't you receive him tonight? Maybe for you it's your first time. And just here in this midst, Christmas Eve 2014, you can know the date. I received Jesus into my life as my Savior to wash away my sins and my Lord. We're all going to spend some time worshiping him these last two songs. And during this time, we're going to sing this next song. What child is this who's laid to rest? Seriously, what child is this? It's the second person of the Trinity. God the Son dwelling among us. Let's stand together and we'll worship him as the wise men did 2,000 years ago.